Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-fiving friends. I'm so excited you're here and as always have an amazing guest to introduce. Today, we're going to be talking with Joss. Josh Detch. Um, he is an ex-paramedic and holistic nutritionist specializing in gut health. It was successive his clients had had with complex digestive diseases previously thought to be impossible that got him connected to some of the world's most renowned doctors. Since then, he's been recruited to the Priority Health Academy as a medical lecturer, helping educate doctors on the holistic approach to gut health and complex digestive issues. So welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for having me. Of course. Well, I always start by asking kind of how you got into doing what you're doing. Oh, wow. So it's an interesting little transition here. And really, it opened my eyes to the power of the gut and gut health that it really understood very quickly that it's the center of all things in all life. And so my first career as a paramedic, I think I started when I was probably 19 years old, very young. And it didn't take me long to realize I was actually not in healthcare. I was in sick care. You know, I was picking up the same people for the same diseases, for the same issues week after week. And I'd take them to the hospital and all they would do is give them new medications or a bigger dose of the medication and send them back. And I'd see them the week after until one day mm. they just stopped calling because they were dead. Mm. And so it got really tiresome very quickly. And I changed careers into a career I was pretty comfortable with. I'd been in the fitness space all my life. I thought, well, I'll become a personal trainer. And when I was doing that, I was about 21 years old, 22, and a client came to see me and she was 57 years old. Her name was Lynn. And we started together. She was on 19 pills of insulin for breakfast, 19 more medication or seven more medications, sorry. And uh, was it 17, 19? Anyway, a lot. Another seven medications for breakfast or for dinner. She was on a CPAP machine, had blood pressure issues. She was on the disability list at work, just a whole bunch of stuff going on. And that was 57 years old. By the time she turned 59, just working on her basic health and, you know, strength training, letting the body heal itself, getting her outside more. At 59 years old, she broke her first world record as a weightlifter in the raw powerlifting division. And wow is right. And that opened my eyes. And she kept breaking records till 61, 62. Most of those records were hers. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was just amazing to see. And I thought, well, there's more to it. And so I started expanding my health coaching, we'll say, out into the world of hormones and depression and anxiety and skin issues and asthma. And every single time there was a gut link to it. And I thought, well, there's more to the gut. And so I ended up going back to school and I became a nutritionist and I specialized in gut after, you know, this whole journey just pushed me through. And I started seeing worse and worse and worse gut diseases from IBS all the way to inflammatory bowel disease, which is Crohn's and colitis. And Like you said in the intro, Crohn's and colitis was thought to be impossible. It's autoimmune. There's nothing you can do about it. Take the drugs and hopefully one day we don't have to cut out your colon if you're lucky. But most people, you know, are either medicated for life or opt for the surgery. And we had patients turning around in three weeks, three months that were previously 10, 15 years having this disease. And so I got a call from some of these doctors whose patients that they were, and they were clients of mine. And we got them on calls and started connecting. And that was it. One thing led to another. And now I lecture and teach and help people heal their guts. That's amazing. I appreciate you sharing all of that. And I I love that 
you're talking about how much comes back to gut. Cause I think that we normalize this idea in society that like, it's normal to have like digestive issues and gut problems. And obviously working in the field of mental health and addiction, so much is impacted by just like our activities of daily life, which include like our sleep routine and like our food and, you know, all these different pieces, but we still just like push over them and look for a different kind of solution or a quick fix or a quick pill. Um, So I think I'm so interested to hear about kind of how the gut impacts more specifically mental health and where we can, well, I'll start with that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with how (laughs) that piece of uh, mental health. Sure. And it's interesting you say, you know, we normalize these things. They are normal, but normal doesn't mean optimal. And that's the first thing you have to understand. Even the blood work you go to see your doctor for, right? I had a conversation with Dr. Joel Fuhrman. If anybody's in this space, they might know his name, um, but very famous celebrity doctor. And he says up to 97% of all people aren't actually at their BMI chart, which is outdated, but point being their body weights are not metabolically healthy. They might be fitting in the BMI, but it's because they have health issues, digestive issues, drug use problems, all kinds of stuff that keeps them lean, but they're not metabolically healthy. Mm. And so normal is not optimal. We even take our blood measurements. Like if you go to the hospital and get your blood, when your doctor's measuring your labs, they say, well, you're in normal range, but that's not optimal. It's actually normal based on a society where 97% of people are actually sick. And so when we start drawing these lines, we understand there's a lot more to health and health care than what is effectively, like I said earlier, sick care. And so when we, let's draw the conclusion for our gut. We'll talk about the mental health and I want to get there, but I think what's really important to understand before we do is just to understand the complexity of our gut so we can sort of develop a reverence around it. So the first thing I'll say is your gut bacteria, I believe it to be more important than your DNA which is a pretty bold statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So think about this. Your DNA is very important. It makes up a lot of your life and lifestyle. But if we look at your DNA and even your genes, you have 23,000 genes in the entire human genome, all the genes that make you you. Mm -hmm. But your gut bacteria have 3 million genes. Amazing. Yeah. It is amazing, right? I see the glow on your face. Yeah. I'm like, wow. (laughs) And so we have 3 million genes. Your bacteria make up 2 to 3% of your entire body weight, outnumbering your body's own cells 10 to 1. And so we are actually more microbes and bacteria than actual human cells. And inside those bacteria, there are little viruses that we think outnumber them 35 to 1 on top of fungus and all kinds of stuff. So we're really a collection of just bacteria, viruses, fungi, and all kinds of stuff. And they integrate with every aspect of everything. They do all kinds of functions. If you don't have healthy gut bacteria, you are not healthy mentally, emotionally, physically. A leaky gut or gut inflammation is connected to 93% of the leading causes of death in the United States. And we're talking like regular things that we call normal deaths, like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, kidney and liver failure. It's all connected back to your gut. And so there's nothing normal about these deaths. And so when we talk about your gut bacteria and the brain connection, there's two ways it connects. One is neurologically. Well, I should say three. Two is chemically. The third is going to be hormonally. And so neurologically, your brain, your gut in utero, like being born, they're actually from the same tissue. So your brain and your gut develop the same way. 
And the nervous system in your gut is actually called the enteric nervous system. So it actually is a brain of its own. It fires as fast as your subconscious brain. I just described those gut feelings as like the physical manifestation mm -hmm. of a subconscious mind trying to say, hey, dude, like pay attention. So neurologically, it's connected that way. Two is going to be hormonally or chemically, which is your body, your gut bacteria actually balance hormones for you. They help take out excess estrogens and all kinds. They produce 90%, 95%, what some will say, of your neurotransmitters, your serotonin, mm -hmm. dopamine. It's this communication back and forth. And then that's hormonally and chemically. So you have your neurological, chemical, and hormonal connections. But if your gut bacteria, it is this perfect community. So we have, like I said, two to 3% of your entire body weight. They estimate it's 100 trillion bacteria all working in harmony together. But if anything, right from birth, whether you were born vaginally or C-section versus breastfed and bottle fed, if anything right from birth has disrupted that microbiome, you're actually at risk for developing other issues, health issues, mental health issues, whatever it is later in your life, because that neighborhood, that ecosystem has been destabilized. Wow. My goodness, I'm like taking in all this information. We are I'm sorry for the lecture. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I think it's insanely fascinating. And I think that it really does talk about like in your bio, you said like the complexity of the digestive system. And I that's something we just don't talk about. And now you've really very beautifully highlighted really how complex it is um, and how much it impacts us. And the thing I kind of wanted to circle back to is you're saying this idea of like normal is not optimal. So kind of in my head, I'm going, okay, but how do we even start to figure out what optimal is if we're so ingrained with the normal of, like you said, like the labs, if you're in the normal range or you're in the normal section for BDI or those things like that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a really interesting question because our data is so skewed. Like, how do you know what the soup tastes like if every ingredient's already in it? Right. And we see that now with 97% of people not being metabolically. And when I say metabolic, like metabolism, mm -hmm. it's we often think weight gain, weight loss. So I'll just put a caveat. Metabolism is actually defined as any biochemical process in the body used to maintain life. You and I <laughs> sitting here, it's a metabolic process. Your brain thinking is metabolism, growing your hair, going to sleep, it's all metabolism. And so what we have to look at is that 97% of our population isn't healthy. And so one would argue that the best data we have is like indigenous tribes still living off the land, you know, without pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, right? Without any of those things and just living as normally as humans would before we became so highly toxic or before our biomes became so messed up. You know, a lot of these tribes um, there's a great documentary coming out soon called Food Lies by uh, Brian Sanders. He's you know well-known on Instagram. And he talks about how he visited some of these tribes. They don't have Alzheimer's. Their elders are not elderly. They are elders. They still hunt. 80 years old, they go out and do stuff. They don't know what diabetes is. They don't know what PCOS is. They don't have these, these what we call genetic diseases or degenerative diseases. They don't have fatty liver disease because they're not polluted. And so I would say our best guess for normal is analyzing them. That's amazing. And something I never would have thought of myself because you're right. I mean, and I think that's such a challenging concept nowadays because one, I think we have to bring in this idea of like accessibility and like the convenience fee, right? Of like, you know, it's easier to drive through Carl's Jr. on the way home than to cook your meal. But it's also this fact of what are the 
challenges and cons and things that are going to occur, right? At the cost of this. Um, but I'm curious if we're bringing in this topic of kind of accessibility, right? Because I think a lot of us, when we think about like, okay, if I'm looking at indigenous tribes, I'm thinking of living off the land, I'm going to have to go live in a homestead and, you know, eat all organic. And sure. maybe that's not totally realistic. So what is kind of a transition that we can start identifying in our lives of like, how do we start prioritizing gut health beyond just taking a probiotic every day? Mm. And that's really interesting too, because I actually have a qualm with a lot of probiotics in general, but maybe okay. another topic for yeah. another time. <laughs> the, the short of it is you have a variety of about 18 million different types of bacteria, right? One to 2,000 species, seven to 9,000 strains. So it's up to 18 million variety, but 100 trillion in total as I multiply out. And if you have an overgrowth of some of those and you happen to be taking that same overgrowth as a, as a probiotic, you could be putting you know, gasoline on the fire. Mm. Um, that's my only uh, qualm with those. But yeah. we look at what we can do. It, it's it can be so complex, but also so easy. The first thing is start reading ingredients. You know, there mm. are so many foods out there because there's a lot of stuff. It's actually scary. I developed when I was becoming a nutritionist. I developed orthorexia, which is like yep. a fear of consuming anything. Mm -hmm. So like everything's poison. The water's poison and fluoride. It drops IQs and it's horrible for you. And like, I just, I got so paranoid, but I had to learn like there's, there's a bit of leeway in there. And so the first thing we can do is start looking at the food we're eating. Where is it coming from? What is it? You know, looking at a package, 50 calories looks a lot better than 50 ingredients, mm. right? So we look at it objectively. We can say, well, what is in my food? basic stuff, just perimeter of the grocery store, my shopping and buying meats and fruits and vegetables, or am I down the aisles where it comes in a pack and it's modified this and corn syrup and corn solids and this and that, and they're artificial ingredients. Those are one of the first things that we can do. The second thing we can do, believe it or not, is just as simple as chewing. All right, There are so many of us that perform what's often referred to as dashboard dining, right? I mean, if you're a mom with five kids and you're running them to soccer, or you're, you know, you're a dad and you're at home by yourself and the kids are screaming, you just want to tear your hair out and you just can't make sense of this stuff. And so we're eating on the go, we're running and your body is actively in fight or flight. The opposite being rest and digest. If you are not in rest and digest, you cannot digest adequately, which means your stomach acid is low, your digestive enzymes are low, you don't have this peristalsis, we call it, that like milking of food, that movement through your digestive system, it's all inhibited. And so by just changing what we eat, reading our ingredients labels, and changing what we're doing when we eat or how we eat, those two things alone for people who are on the border of like, well, I'm bloated, I don't feel good, food disagrees with me, that can be a world changer right there. Gut disease mm -hmm. is another ball game. We're like severe IBS or like inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's colitis, uh, where I specialize, that is a different animal altogether. But in general, watch your ingredients and just chew your bloody food and you'd be shocked to see how quickly. And the last piece, don't chug water before, during, or after meals. 30-minute window, sip as needed while you eat, and mm -hmm. you'd be surprised how how well you you can digest. That's amazing. And you know, as I'm sitting here thinking, um, obviously, like I said, it kind of full transparency, the normalization of gut issues. I've had gut health issues mm -hmm. and the chewing the food, like you said, seems so simple, but I noticed in my own health of like, I was so much on that. Exactly. Like we said, I'm like, go, go, go. I wasn't chewing my food. And I literally got to the point where if I wasn't sitting there and chewing my food, I would get food stuck and have to get sick to actually be able to like pass food because it was just like, Okay. I mean, and there's so many things that impacted that obviously with like stress and, you know, like we're talking about, it's that full holistic connected system. Mm -hmm. But 
my goodness, like something so simple of chewing your food. We just like, we're seeing that we don't even have the time for that, which is such a a big shift anyways, right? Like we're not prioritizing even eating, which is just a bizarre concept to even Mm -hmm. kind of highlight. What's funny you say that even growing up my whole life, my mom, my mom would tell me, slow down, chew your food. I would scarf it like, like a pelican, like it would yeah. go down in one <laughs> shot. And it just, you know, I, no wonder I've got gut issues now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm still, I'm a gut expert and I deal with gut issues because mm-hmm. of the damage I've caused. Now it's on and off because of lifestyle and stress, right? So we're always in this uphill battle, unfortunately. And so even the professional struggle. It's like personal trainers don't get to work out every day. Even mm-hmm. gut specialists deal with stress that can wreak havoc on their gut. And my gut was so severe many years ago. It was so severe. I'm only about 175 pounds now. My 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 biggest, I mean, it was also on steroids at the time, um, but I was about 215 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so I got very, very sick. I lost 25, 26 pounds. Um, I went from, I was, a, I was a natural athlete at the time. I'm natural again now. It was a short stint of anabolics. Um, but weighing about 185 pounds, 190, competing in strongman sports. So like mm-hmm. Atlas stones and lifting up logs and, you know, trucks and all that stuff. And I would pick up at 190 pounds. I'd lift a 375 pound rock. It was an Atlas stone lift and I put it on top of this block. That was part of the competition. After my gut got completely toasted, I had trouble picking up 65 pounds. Wow. It was just astronomical. And it took me months just to get it back to balance and years of dealing with the residual effects. And that's because I let it get out of hand. This is before, of course, my gut expertise in my early 20s. (laughs) But that was a huge learning curve for me. That's actually one of the things that kicked me off to getting here to realizing how debilitating 15 bowel movements a day, 10 minute transit time, like you eat food, it comes in and goes right through you. You're not absorbing anything in the fatigue, these dark circles under my eyes, the, the, the moodiness, the irritability. My ADHD was through the roof. Um, mood swings, uncontrollable. My doctor gave me Vyvanse for the ADHD and mm. I was having mood swings and suicidal thoughts. And it just was absolutely, my gut was just apocalyptic. Like it mm-hmm. was a mess. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we started at the very beginning, if we kind of rewind this, and I appreciate you sharing that and being so vulnerable and honest about it, um, is like we've talked about it, it can can impact so many different things like you were just highlighting. So if we dive a little bit deeper into that, what are some things that if you're not really noticing, if you have like gut issues necessarily, what are some things that could be due to gut that would be common challenges people may notice? Mm-hmm. So you're asking what sort of symptoms people might experience if not gut symptoms? Yes. Yeah, that's excellent. That's a very good question. So if you don't experience like gas, bloat, like again, constipation, most people, mm-hmm. your doctor will even probably tell you one bowel movement every couple of days is fine. Mm-mm. I hear that all the time. Uh, one to three bowel movements a day fully formed is normal. So if you don't have any any issues outside of one to three, if they're, you know, if they're fully formed, you don't have blow, acid reflux, reflux, any of that stuff, you might still have gut issues though your gut's asymptomatic. If you have anxiety, depression, skin issues, acne, psoriasis, like anything basic like that, irritability, moodiness, insomnia, all those things can be signs of gut issues. People who might have, um, you know, even cardiac issues like your heart. If you're like, well, you're building up a lot of, you know, uh, triglycerides and this and that's heavy. Your cholesterol is too high. That can actually come back to your gut. And so, mm-hmm. realistically, when I said like like 93 of the leading causes of death, this is data from the CDC. Their 15th leading cause of death is actually under the under the umbrella of suicide, homicide, or accidents, injuries. The other 14 leading causes. They're all related to chronic inflammatory conditions back to the gut. And so if you're someone who 
has an autoimmune condition like lupus, that's probably coming from your gut or your gut has a role to play. Heart disease, cancers, uh, strokes, looking at chronic like respiratory issues or respiratory mm -hmm. disease that has a gut link. I've seen asthma related just to the gut, um, diabetes, even Alzheimer's, kidney issues, liver issues, high blood pressure, Parkinson's disease, influenza, like recurring uh, infections or a, or a low immune system where you're constantly getting uh, issues that way, blood infections, it all comes back to the gut. And so it's really interesting when you draw those lines and say, what symptoms? I think the better question is what symptoms wouldn't you have if you had a gut issues? Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is, there's like not even a word. I'm like at loss of words of like how significant that is of, oh my goodness, it's impacting so many things. And I know briefly we were talking um, before we started recording and, and you mentioned kind of the idea of your immune system and gut health. And when you were saying that and you said kind of the lower immune system, what it made me think of is allergies. I have like, mm -hmm. you know, anaphylactic tree nut allergies. It's like one of something that I struggle with. And it's kind of interesting because again, it's like, you know, we've talked about like, is it genetic? And for me, like nobody in my fa family has allergies that's known of, but I think that it relates back to gut. And I'm curious what your thought about allergies and like immune responses with that, how that's impacted by the gut. Yeah, great question. So there are five allergy responses. We'll say we call them, go by the acronym MAG. And so they're IgM, IgA, D, G, and E. Um, and so they're very interesting, these allergy responses. And so we look at like a slow onset allergy. I kind of get my mixed up sometimes, but I believe it's the IgE. That's a, like a fast, rapid allergy response. So like an anaphylaxis. Then you have your slow onset, which is IgG. So you can eat a food today and have like irritability, joint pain, or acne three days from now, because it oh. takes up to 72 hours to manifest symptoms. It's very slow onset. Mm -hmm. But these allergies, this is interesting because is it genetic or is it not? And I say my vote would be no. Now, we can say that genes can be expressed in certain ways, but often the phrase is that genetics load the gun, something else, be a lifestyle or whatever it is, pulls the trigger. And that can turn those genes on or off or up or down is more, I suppose more appropriate. And so it's like a knob, like a volume knob. So how severe is your allergy? Now, if we keep in mind being born, right? Right from birth, some people have allergies that they just happen to have, or they're exposed to a food and their immune system's inflamed. There's a lot of reasons that'll happen. Number one, babies are actually born with leaky gut. We have leaks in the gut. And leaky gut as an adult, it's actually a good thing. It's a defense mechanism, but it's sustained leaky gut that's a problem. We can chat about that later if you want. Mm -hmm. But say you're born brand new, you're, you know, brand new baby, you're a month old, and you get you're given peanut butter. And if you have inflammation in your body for any reason, maybe you were born C-section instead of vaginal, maybe you were fed bottle fed instead of breastfed, you're gonna have inflammation and very poor gut development. In fact, we know babies who are bottle fed solely instead of breastfed are twice as likely to die from SIDS. And so even right from when you're born. And so now if you have these leaks in your gut and it allows these, what we call macromolecules. So micromolecules, they get into your blood, they travel around. That's how food and nutrients travel. That's a normal part. But if you have these leaks in your gut that are too big and food travels through, these macromolecules get into your blood, your immune system goes, well, hey man, that's a whole peanut. You shouldn't be in my bloodstream. And it sends these guys down and says, that's an invader. And now your body remembers this adaptive immune system remembers that that is a problem. So next time we see it, we better get on top of it. Your security team of your body has a picture in the hall and goes, if you see him attack. Mm -hmm. And that's where these allergies can come from. On the other hand, remember we talk about toxicity mm -hmm. and it was actually like shocking, very, very sad. Um, 
the Red Cross did a study in 2004, and I forget the exact name of the study. Um, but anyway, it was really interesting. They did a, a study in 2004. You guys can look it up. It was talked about in a publishing from the Environmental Working Group in 2005. And they took a bunch of batches and they took 10 freshly cut umbilical cords and analyzed all the chemicals and toxins in the body. These babies, on average, just freshly born, had more than 287 chemicals. We're talking pollutants, pesticides, um, waste products from burning coal, gasoline, garbage, all kinds of stuff, chemicals from stains and oil repellents that were found in people's bodies. The average adult has over 500 and some. We're talking petroleum or rocket fuel. And so from these brand new babies' umbilical cords, out of the 287 chemicals, 180 were known to cause cancer, 217 were toxic to the brain and nervous system, and 208 were known to cause birth defects in animals. And so you want to talk about toxicity and inflammation, right? That inflammation, we're set with a bad deck since we're born. The hand's been dealt. We just have to work you know, uphill against it. But all those things cause the immune system to, to trigger, which causing this inflammation, leading to allergies or autoimmunity over time. And I look at it like my glass of water, right? Your body, when you're born, that should be empty. You're perfectly healthy, but we're born with a little bit of water in that glass, 287 chemicals. And then you're fed sugar. And then you're born C-section. We add more water. And then you're, you know, you're, you're uh, bottle fed formula instead of breastfed. So you add more water until that cup overflows. And now we have allergies. We have autoimmune conditions. We have uh, ADHD and childhood obesity and all these disease processes of the body due to this overflow of toxicity. Mm. Oh my goodness. It's overwhelming to hear. So we talked about kind of some easy shifts with food. How do people go into this space of where it's not overwhelming, where they're trying to get rid of every single chemical in their house right away? Mm -hmm. What is kind of a good place to start with not just the toxicity, but really like figuring out how to support gut health in your daily routine? Yeah, it's an awesome question because it really is. And I'm a stats guy. Like, show me the numbers, show me the studies, yeah. look at it, 287 chemicals. And that drives people nuts. Like, dude, shut up. I can't I love it. I got I love anxiety. It. <laughs> <laughs> but it can be very, can be very anxiety inducing for a lot mm -hmm. of people. And so the thing is, how can we make this simple? The reason I bring all this up at this point is just so we can one, have a reverence for our gut and understand how vital our good bacteria are. Number two, understanding that it matters everything from birth. And everything we do in our day-to-day -day lives matter. But then the other thing we want to understand without the anxiety, it's like, well, okay, I was born C-section or I was bottle fed and you know, I do have asthma, I do have allergies, I do have gut issues. Am I a lost cause? And the answer is absolutely not. The number one thing, if you're burning your hand, pull the heat away. That's the first thing we can do to let that burn start to heal. So if we're adding toxins to our lives, if we're drinking alcohol, if we're smoking, even smoking weed, it's not good for you. There's no study showing it's good for you. Now, cannabinoids, sure. They, we have you know cannabinoid receptors in the body, but by actually inhaling these, by vaping, all these things are very bad. We're drinking alcohol, we're eating fast food, fried food, Carl's Jr., mm. right? These things are inflammatory for the body. So the first thing we can do is stop adding insult to injury. And even in that circumstance, a lot of times the body can heal itself, but we need to educate ourselves on food, right? The mm -hmm. biggest way to get healthy is just education. But a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have that. And I remember years back, and this will be like regular everyday stuff for some people and others are going to be shocked by what I'm going to tell you. 
there was a client I was working with. She was when I was back in my personal training day. She was 18 years old and she came in. She was overweight. She had a lot of acne. She was really low energy, feeling sick. And she was, how can I get better? I said, first thing, let's keep a food journal. I just want to see what you're eating. She says, well, I can tell you what I'm eating. I said, okay, go ahead. She says, well, the morning I'm eating my oats and I've got fruit in there and, and stuff in there. Um, for lunch, I'm getting my sure I'm getting my grains and nuts and some protein. And then with dinner, it's typically leftovers or you know, I might have like lasagna with meat, whatever it was. I said, okay, that's good enough. But like write it down, take pictures of your food. Turns out her morning was Quaker instant oatmeal with that dried fruit sugar. So sugar on sugar on top of high glycemic foods. That's not food. Uh, her lunch with her proteins and grains was actually Wonder Bread whole wheat with Smucker's jam and Skippy peanut butter, which is more soybean oil and icing sugar than actual peanuts. And then dinner, her lasagna was a microwave or frozen dinner lasagna. So all these processed ingredients. So really again, right? 50 calories looks better than 50 ingredients when we're looking at food. And so we have to look at our foods. Are we shopping the perimeter of that grocery store? Are we buying those fruits and vegetables versus going down the aisle way? Stop adding insult to injury. Look at the things we're consuming. Are we drinking? Are we smoking? Are we really high stress? If you are, that's your lifestyle. We got to get that down as best we can, but some people have a crappy job. So rather than eating at your desk and being angry, stop, chew take some breaths, start attempting to move your body into that rest and digest rather than dashboard dining. And so those are the things we can do first and foremost. Look at your ingredients, take a breath, chew, and again, restrict your water before and after enduring. Um, and those are the first things. If you have severe complications in your gut, you might need some actual assessments. You might need to do some stool testing or something else and see a professional about that. Um, but again, if you're borderlining, like I just want to improve, those are the easiest things you can do without overcomplicating it. I love that. And I, one thing I want to highlight with the education piece is do you have recommendations? Because I think one of the daunting things about diet culture and health and wellness and all this stuff is there so it's like so oversaturated in the market that I think a lot of people don't even know where to start. So do you have any recommendations of good places that have really good information? Yeah. I mean, I'm a little biased, obviously with my podcast. That's why I do it. Sure. Perfect. Um, yeah. I mean, I can plug that for you if you'd like. Please. Um, so my podcast is called Reversible. That's Reverse Able, the ultimate gut health podcast. And we talk all about the gut, but it's not just like gut and gut facts and stats like today. We talk about all the things that influence our gut and how our gut in influences the world around us right, and our lives. It's a very important part. And we have some of the world's most famous doctors and experts, like they have no business talking to me, yet they are. It's amazing. I'm very, very blessed. Um, but we talk about all these different influences. We talk about nutrition. We do talk about homesteading or farming. We also talk about the science and medications and medical autonomy. It's shocking what doctors will do. They'll gaslight and push and have this very paternal way of speaking to their patients. And they feel like they're small. They have no power and that health is taken away from you. And so becoming autonomous, taking this into your own hands, um, that podcast, we talk about all of it. And so that's reversible. But outside of that, I would take a grain of salt with most influencers. There was actually a study done in the University of Glasgow did a study. They found something like 87% of the time, um, I think it was 12 or 13 out of 15 of the most famous influencers were giving wrong advice like nine out of 10 times. It was dangerous in a lot of cases. I mean, you can look that up, like University of Glasgow influencers nutrition study. It's shocking how bad the information is. So the best thing we can do is find a couple of different sources or find one you bloody trust, do some things and see if it works for you. If it does, follow more. 
fact check them. I won't say anything unless I've read it or seen it in a study. Um, and we, you know, we can have information that way. So it is, it's a sea of complexity, but we do our best and, you know, try to follow somebody that makes sense to you. I love that. And I think I really like that you highlighted the influencer piece. I think that that's so much where so many of us get the information nowadays um, with just social media being at our fingertips all the time. Um, and I think that we need to kind of pull back and really start finding like who is an actual expert who has the education behind this. I said to a client the other day, it was kind of about opinions and um, ideas, but they were taking ideas from other people and impacting their own lives. And I asked them like, is this person an expert in that? Do they have what you want? And their answer, they like took a step back and they're like, well, I guess not. And I'm like, then why are you listening to that? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, let's like, so I love that you highlighted that piece and I appreciate you putting the plug for your podcast. Um, for our listeners, I am going to put all of Josh's information and the podcast in the ep uh, his podcast in the episode notes so that you can just easily click over to that. Um, Thank you for your time, Josh. I enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, and our listeners, thank you for spending your time with us. I know it is valuable and I appreciate you spending it here. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I know we got to wrap this up if I can. Caitlin, for anybody listening as well, if they're having troubles with their gut, um, I did put free programs on my website as well. So that's just if you click the free stuff tab on the website at reversible, that's reverseablepod.com. Um, I listen for gut issues, IBSC and D and acid reflux and all that. But if you pick any one of those like basic irritable bowel or gut programs or the liver programs, they're phenomenal for getting your body to clean itself out and just promote its natural processes. And those are absolutely zero cost. So that's another resource for your listeners. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing that as well. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.